0: Our first uh, scripture reading of the morning is from the book of Genesis. Uh, It's from chapter 45. It's uh, well into the story about Joseph. So I'll have to do some uh, background and recapping during the course of the message. So, But I invite you to follow along as I read from Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 8. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, and Lord of all his house, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It was a very uh, elegant wedding. It was in an old uh, traditional church. And the bridesmaids, as you might imagine, were decked out in their fancy gowns, and the groomsmen were all in their tuxes. The bride's parents had divorced years earlier, and the mother of the bride had remarried. And as the service began, the bride appeared at the head of the aisle on her father's arm. And they started down the aisle toward the front of the church, and about halfway, they paused, they stopped. And out from the pew stepped her stepfather, and he took her other arm, and the three of them together walked to the front of the church arm in arm. And of course, the big question on everyone's mind was, who is going to give the bride away? And when it came for that time in the service, when the minister asked, who gives this woman away to be with this man? The two men. Together, said in unison, with her mother, we do. I wonder how much forgiveness had to go into that one moment. Without forgiveness, families fall apart. Without forgiveness, there are fault lines of tension that sort of underlie happy get-togethers. There are words and there are names and there are subjects that we dare not mention when we're with others, like during the holidays. Today, I'm bringing down the curtain on my sermon series on the book of Genesis, and today we're taking a look at the character Joseph. What's interesting to me is that more is written about Joseph than any of the other patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, because the story of Joseph starts in Genesis chapter 37 and goes all the way to Genesis chapter 50, which ends the book of Genesis. And it's almost as if God is saying, I want you to pay attention to this. There's something very significant going on here. I have something for you to learn. Well, let's see if we can determine what in the world God is up to in our scripture reading. As I continue and read from the last chapter in the book of Genesis, chapter 50, verses 15 through 22. Again, I invite you to follow along on the screen. Realizing that their father, that would be Jacob, was dead, Joseph's brothers said, What if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we did to him? So they approached Joseph, saying, Your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now, therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept. When they spoke to him then his brothers also wept fell down before him and said we are here as your slaves but joseph said to them do not be afraid am i in the place of god even though you intended to do harm to me god intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today so have no fear i myself will provide for you and your little ones In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. God, our uh, prayer today is really what it should be every day that we would see Thee more clearly, love Thee more dearly, and follow Thee more nearly, day by day by day, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, Genesis chapter 37 begins with the hurt feelings, not of Joseph, but of Joseph's brothers, which we might begin to understand just a little bit more about if we discover that our parents have a favorite, and we ain't it. The Bible says Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Now, Jacob had fathered Joseph when he was in his 70s, and every time he saw the little guy run across the soccer field, he just beamed with pride. And Jacob loved Joseph more than his other sons. So when he would shop for his other boys, he went to Walmart. If he only had a couple of bucks in his wallet, that's all he spent. But with Joseph, he spared no expense. He went to the finest department stores. He went over to Tanger, to to Ralph Lauren Polo, where he bought him a coat of many colors. And Joseph, just to be clear, kind of made matters worse for himself by strutting around in that new coat like a peacock. He would also go to breakfast and say things like, listen to this dream I had last night. In my dream, we were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when my sheaf rose up and stood taller than yours and your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. That is not a good dream to share with your brothers. And it says they hated him for his dreams and for his words. One day, Jacob sends Joseph out side to find his brothers who are caring for the sheep in the wilderness. Notice how they worked and Joseph got to spend time inside and out from under the hot sun. And as Joseph comes towards his brothers, they say, well, here comes daddy's little fair-haired boy, chosen one. Let's stick it to him. And so they kidnap Joseph and they throw him down into a pit. They discuss their various options one of which includes a killing their own brother, but instead they sell him into slavery and they put him on a camel caravan with a one-way ticket punched Egypt. They then take that coat with many colors. They dip it in goat's blood to make it look as if Joseph had been devoured by a wild animal. This is really in the Bible. I'm not making this up. And on their way home, those brothers are all sort of rehearsing their story, trying to convince their father, Jacob, that they are truly brokenhearted over the tragic loss of their beloved brother. Now, don't you think that Joseph would have all kinds of reason for resentment? Would we really blame Joseph if he had spent the rest of his life being eaten up with, with bitterness? Imagine for just a moment what it must have felt like to be around 17 years old, to be stripped of your clothing and thrown into a pit by your brothers, to be auctioned off like a slab of meat into slavery, and to never again, as far as he knew at that time, to see his family ever again. My friends, we learn from Joseph why it is important to forgive. Someone once said, forgiveness is not a case of holy amnesia that wipes out the past. Instead, it is the experience of healing that drains the poison from the wound. Only as we forgive do we release the poison from our past and get on with our lives. Joseph was somehow able to push aside his anger. He was somehow able to push aside his hurt. And also get on with his life and it's almost as if he's thinking well lord i am in one heck of a pickle here please give me your strength please guide my words and my actions well right after joseph arrives in egypt he becomes a favorite again this time it's potiphar the the captain of pharaoh's guard and joseph is hand-picked to be the manager in charge of Potiphar's household affairs. There's just one problem. Mrs. Potiphar, she takes a shine to this Hebrew he-man, and it's interesting, and it's kind of a subplot to the whole story of Joseph, but an item of clothing gets Joseph in trouble again. This time, it's another coat which he leaves in Mrs. Potiphar's hot little hands as he makes this mad dash out of the house. And then she uses that coat as fake evidence as a sexual harassment claim against him. And so once again, Joseph gets thrown into a pit, only this time it's a prison. Being in a prison of unforgiveness can leave us bitter, can leave us very angry. And so let me ask you a question that you have to answer for yourself. Are any of you here today or watching at home trapped in a prison of unforgiveness? Maybe it's toward the company that let you go. Maybe it's toward a parent who hurt you. Or a spouse who disappointed you. Or a friend who abandoned you. Maybe even a church that failed you. Unforgiveness puts us in a prison. And yet the irony is, is, that, is that we are the ones who we are hurting when we don't forgive. We hurt our sleep. We hurt our appetite. We hurt our blood pressure. It hurts our happiness. I would like to share with you a letter that was sent to Anne Landers on this very subject. Dear Anne. I disagree with your response to the woman who wanted to know whether her husband should ask her mother if he was included in her will. You said no. I said, why not? A person should be able to plan. I quit my job to nurse my terminally ill mother and lived off my savings while my sister, mom's favorite, was not working and could have cared for her if she wanted to. I wasn't reimbursed for one dime. So who did mom leave all her money to? You guessed it her favorite I put in a lifetime of loving that shallow woman and it didn't mean a blessed thing I spent every holiday with her my sister rarely put herself out to come and visit but all mother ever talked about was how wonderful she was after listening to all this garbage for the umpteenth time I got on the phone to my sister and told her to come get her mother because I'd had it I did not say goodbye nor did I go to my mother's funeral When she died, I didn't shed one tear, and I regret nothing. After a lifetime of rejection, I was able to wipe it all out by rejecting her, and that was how I was finally able to settle the score. Fate has a way of getting even. She died alone in a rooming house, and my sister was not at her side. She got mom's money, but I feel like I won because I had the satisfaction of rejecting that terrible woman. Signed, Columbus, Ohio. And then Ann Landers responded, Dear Columbus, I've read some venomous letters in my day, but yours ranks up there with one of the most spiteful. If you aren't in therapy when you read this, you think? I hope you start soon. You are so full of anger and bitterness that you are a time bomb ready to explode. You must talk this poison out of your system. Joseph never let the poison get into his system. He didn't get bitter. He didn't throw little poor me pity parties. Instead, he worked the system and he wound up in charge of the whole prison. And later on, when Pharaoh is wrestling with the problem of a famine and he needs someone to lead the nation to economic recovery, one of his slaves says, "Uh, your highness, sir, I know just the person that you might be looking for. And Joseph goes from the prison to the palace, from the doghouse to the White House, from the outhouse to the penthouse, from the pit to being the prime minister of Egypt. When we've been hurt, it's really, really easy to remain in that prison. But you know what? That's the paradox of forgiveness. It looks like we're being a softy. It looks like we're letting the other person off the hook. But the reality is when you forgive, you release a prisoner and that prisoner is you. Well, the scene then shifts to Canaan. There's a bad famine in the land. And old father Jacob hears through the grapevine that they've got some grain over there in Egypt. And so he says to his sons, go down and buy grain for us that we may live and not die. And So those boys, they all giddy up their camels and they head towards Egypt, right to the very steps of the palace. And what follows is better than any Steven Spielberg movie as the brothers appear before the prime minister of Egypt. They don't recognize him, but Joseph sure recognizes them. And they bow down before him. And Joseph thinks, yeah, that dream I had as a boy. Then he invites them to dinner that night. Can you imagine the looks on their faces when they come to the table for dinner and all of the place settings are arranged in order of their birth? How did he know? And Joseph's got some other tricks up his sleeve. While they are eating, he slips some money into the grain sacks of those brothers that they're going to be taking back to Canaan. And in the youngest brother, Benjamin's grain sack, Joseph puts his own personal silver chalice And Then when they're on their way back to Canaan Joseph arranges for the brothers to be caught red-handed with the hot merchandise as they're passing through customs They're all dragged back to the palace And the whole time they're yelling you gotta let us go. You gotta let us go. We've got this aged father to take care of home He's already lost one boy. He's still grieving over him. This is gonna kill him. Please let us go. Let us go At this point Joseph can't hold it in any longer. He bursts into tears and he tells them, I am that boy. I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. At this point the brothers all think, well we're dead now. Game over man. This has to be the favorite story in the Bible of little brothers and sisters everywhere. Instead, We have one of the most beautiful scenes in all of the Bible. Friends, don't let anyone ever tell you that there's no grace in the Old Testament. Because Joseph looks at his brothers, the very ones who sold them into slavery, and he says, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, for God sent me before you to preserve life. In other words, Joseph says, don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you. Let's be brothers again, let's, let's heal, let's heal this family. Joseph says the three hardest words to say in the English language. These three words are the ones that will truly free him from any bitterness or resentment. Three words, I forgive you. Jesus said forgive and you will be forgiven the apostle paul said get rid of all your bitterness rage and anger repay no one evil for evil but do what is right in the eyes of those around you the bible doesn't say oh wait until you've analyzed and studied all the implications of the hurtful things that people have done you before you forgive doesn't say that nor does god say wait until that person has asked you for their forgiveness and told you how sorry they are for hurting you doesn't say that either God says, just forgive. We probably need to be a lot more like a sign that was outside of a Baptist church, which I just love. It said, forgive your enemies. It messes with their heads. (laughs) I just love what happens next in the story. The brothers are on their way out the door when Joseph says, oh, wait a minute. I've got something for you. He disappears for just a moment. and He comes back and he's carrying with them boxes of brand new clothes for his brothers. Remember, it was an item of clothing that started all this trouble in the first place. And Joseph says, okay, guys, we're even now. And I'd like to think they all laughed together as a family as those brothers returned home clothed in forgiveness. Wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great? If we could walk out these doors today carrying wardrobes of forgiveness to bestow upon family members, co-workers, the people you meet here, and yes, even that annoying person who cuts in front of you in the line at Giant. John Plummer was haunted for many years by an experience that occurred during his service in Vietnam. In 1972, as a 24-year-old soldier, he set up an airstrike on the village of Trang Bong after twice being reassured that there were no civilians in the area. Well, shortly after the strike, he saw the Pulitzer Prize-winning photo, which you're gonna see on the screen, of little nine-year-old Kim Phuc running naked and horribly burned by napalm. Kim Phuc spent 14 months in the hospital. She had 17 operations. And even though she was raised a Buddhist, Kim Phuc became a Christian 10 years later in 1982. This is what she writes. God helped me to learn to forgive the most difficult of all lessons. It didn't happen in a day, and it wasn't easy, but I finally got it. Forgiveness made me free from hatred. I still have many scars on my body and severe pain most days, but my heart is cleansed. Napalm is very powerful, but faith, forgiveness, and love are much more powerful. Well, John Plummer was haunted by that photograph. It was indelibly burned in his mind and in his soul, for many, many years. He came to terms with the fact that he had done everything humanly possible to make sure that the attack area was free of civilians, but he would experience this new pain every time he saw that picture. And he wanted to tell Kim Phuc just how truly sorry he was. But he also knew that there was no way he could ever see her because even if she were still alive, she was in Vietnam and there was no way that he could bring himself to ever visit that place again. Well, in June of 1996, 24 years after those bombs were dropped, Kim Phuc was giving a lecture to, for Vietnam veterans, and it was near John's plumber, John Plummer's house, and he decided to attend. <laughs> Kim Phuc said to the veterans that were gathered there, if I could speak face-to-face with the pilot who dropped those bombs, I would tell him that we cannot change history, but we should try to do good for the present and the future. Well, during that presentation, John Plummer wrote a note, I am that man, and had it brought to her. And when she finished speaking, John Plummer kind of pushed his way through the crowd, and they fell into each other's arms. And all that John Plummer could say was, I am so sorry, I am so, so sorry. And Kim Fook replied, I forgive you. I forgive you. And that day, John Plummer was freed from his prison of guilt through Kim Fook's gift of forgiveness. And John Plummer went on to serve as the pastor of the Bethany Bethany United uh, Methodist Church in Purcellville, Virginia. Friends, this morning, you can forgive the person who has hurt you the most in life. And know that Jesus Christ has already forgiven you. Because only forgiveness brings healing. Only forgiveness brings closure. Only forgiveness will bring us freedom from the prisons of our past. For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son, so that he could extend the hand of forgiveness in order for us to be put back into a right relationship with God and with one another. Let us pray. Lord God, this morning, some of us are in the palace, but some of us are still in prison. And so, God, teach us not to be bitter or to hold on tightly to grudges, but to forgive fully and as freely as we have already been forgiven by you. God, it's so scary to see the dramatic examples of forgiveness by Joseph because I'm willing to bet that there are many here today who face that Herculean task of forgiveness, from those who have damaged our lives and scarred our souls, leaving hurts and wounds that really only you can understand. And so give us the grace to move from episodes where we've been treated wrongly, our prisons where we've been humiliated, cheated in business or betrayed in relationships, May we clothe anyone who has ever wronged us in garments of forgiveness as we know you so desire for us to do. And now, gracious God, we pray that in this moment, the cross of Jesus Christ would plant itself in our hearts and give us the strength to climb those mountains of forgiveness. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray all of these things. Amen.